Heavenly Father, we come before you, and as we gather here, Lord, the primary reason that we are here is to hear your truth, hear your word that is eternal. And God, as we open up to this portion of your word, that you would speak to us, we need your word to really instruct us and to inform us and to change us. So Lord, that you would speak uh, this time. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Um, So the title of my uh, sermon is The Mission. And we've been going through uh, the series on evangelism. On the evangelism. And, you know, Pastor Jay, for the last couple weeks, uh, was talking about our primary uh, motivation uh, is to really love God. For evangelism is to love God and love people, the two greatest commandments. And also he talked about how the church is to be a primary way for us to evangelize. Oftentimes when we think about evangelism, it's us going out, which is true, but also we often forget the fact that God has called us to be this community of faith, the believers who would just come together and share our lives together and live according to the word of God. And through that, we can truly be a powerful witness to the watching world that the church is also for us to be the true church that God has called us to be, that can also be a powerful evangelistic way. Uh, oftentimes, we don't think, think like that. And so, uh, so that's what we've been uh, talking about for the last couple of weeks. And, you know, evangelism is not an easy enterprise. It is this one area in Christian life where we often feel guilty about and we feel very inadequate about this evangelism. Like when it comes to like worship, prayer, uh, reading the word, yeah, we, we kind of struggle with those things in those disciplines, but at least we, to some degree, we are engaged in those things. At least if you come to church on Sunday, we are part of this. We worship God together. We hear the word of God together and we pray. So those things we kind of do. But evangelism, it's a different story. It can very well be a very small part, if any, of our lives oftentimes. Oftentimes I hear and then I also say to myself, that uh, the reason why I'm kind of lacking in evangelism is because, well, you know, I, and I hear this too from other people, I don't really want to impose my view, you know, my beliefs on other people. But as we talked about, that, that the evangelism, evangelism is not imposition. Right? Or oftentimes I also hear people say, well, I don't really know how to evangelize. I don't really know enough about the Bible. And also even if I do, I, I really don't know how to bring up this conversation about spiritual matters. I just don't know how. And so those are the things that we often tell ourselves and talk to other people about. The reason why we are so lacking in this area. You know, it is said that of all the Christian activities that we do, that we engage in this world, evangelism is one that we will not be able to be doing in heaven. We will still praise God. We will worship Him. We will pray to Him. We will be reminded of God's truth in heaven. But there is no need for evangelism, even in heaven, even if we want to, because we will be surrounded by 
the people of God. There is no need for us to evangelize. Right? So evangelism is really reserved for this world, in this life only. Other things may carry over. It will continue on. But evangelism it will no longer be needed in heaven. John Piper once said, missions exist because worship doesn't. Missions exist because the worship doesn't. And um, for us, we can, uh, or we can also, say in our context, we can say evangelism exists because worship doesn't. God is to be known and worshipped in all of His glory, but because of our wickedness, we shut Him out, and we live in lies. We live in darkness. You know, if you think about it, every human being is a worshipper. We all are worshippers of something. We are. We worship what our hearts truly desire. Whatever that our hearts really crave for, that's what we worship. If we really desire money, then we will worship. We will be a slave of money. If we crave social standing or status, then that's what will truly consume us, and we will end up worshiping these things. As God has created us, it is only right for us to worship Him and to adore Him. But because of our wickedness and because of our sin, because of our idolatry, our worship, our idol worship has replaced the worship of the true God. So everywhere we look, even in our own lives, as well as in the lives of the other people, we see idol worship because that's where our hearts, that's what our hearts truly desire. So there isn't a whole lot of true worship going on in the world. That's why missions exist. And that's why evangelism exists because worship of true God is not happening in the world. Because if it is, if there is a true worship, authentic worship of true God is happening everywhere, there will not be any need for missions or evangelism. But because there isn't, because of our sinfulness, there's a lot of this, uh, that's why evangelism exists in this world. And now, because of the, the necessity of the worship of God, God has given us a clear mandate. And the mandate is to bear witness to what God has accomplished for us through Christ Jesus, His Son, so that people can no longer engage in this idol worship, but in the worship of the true God. And that's the mandate that we have the reason, one of the reasons why God has called us to be His people, the reason why God has saved us, the reason why God has called us to, uh, into His kingdom is so that other people who are engaged in idol worship, they must turn their heart, turn away from their idol worship and turn to the true, one true living God and worship Him. And that is the mandate that we have. You know, uh, when the military, uh, I know uh, some, a couple of us here are in the military, but uh, you know, when the military undertakes an operation, they better have a clear objective, right? They better be really locked in. They have to have a clear understanding of what their mission is. Because when they don't, 
then Vietnam would happen. If they don't, then Afghanistan will happen. You know, just this past week, uh, my wife was saying that, um, you know, the, the school just started, and uh, one of the kids, uh, he, is, uh, he made it very clear from the very beginning that he's a Jehovah's Witness, right? And that this, some, uh, this one, week, uh, one day this week, this boy comes in one day, the beginning of the class, and then here, Mrs. Lee, boom, puts down a brochure about Jehovah's Witness, right? And so she, he wanted her to understand more about Jehovah's Witness, and that's when, you know, Grace said, well, thank you for no thank you. You know, it's, I, I, you know I'm a Christian, so I... But, you know, the, the thing is, he was very clear. A seven-year-old kid, right, being very clear about what he wanted to do with, the, with his teacher, being clear. She, at least in his mind, he was trying to uh, proselytize grace, right? Mission, having understanding, clear understanding of our mission, why we exist in this world, and what God calls us to do, it's very important. And our mission is the worldwide witness and making disciples and planting churches. That is our mission. It's a worldwide witness and to make disciples of all nations and to plant churches. We are to proclaim Jesus Christ everywhere as God incarnate and Lord and Savior and announce God's invitation to enter life through Christ Jesus by, uh, by uh, cr- uh, turning to Christ in repentance and in faith. Then what does uh, today's passage tell us about evangelism? What does this story about Zacchaeus have to do with evangelism? You know, as we look at uh, this example of Christ, we can see a couple of principles. And the first thing that I would like to bring out to you is the fact that evangelism is a process, not an event. I don't know if you have the PowerPoint. Yeah. Evangelism is a process, not an event. Oftentimes, we consider evangelism as something that we do. It's, it's like an event that we engage in, like street witnessing, doing like cold turkey evangelism, and all these things that we think of, we tend to think of evangelism as actually just going to that person, somebody, a target, and they're just talking to him about Jesus or the gospel. And then after we are done, okay, I'm done with my evangelism. And that's how we are, oftentimes we understand evangelism to be. I remember like uh, my first year in college, um, I joined the discipleship group. And then, you know, just... Uh, the discipler was very intentional about, like, hey, we got to, as Christians, we got to evangelize, evangelize. And so uh, what we did is, um, uh, you know, he said, oh, why don't we just pray? Because uh, evangelism will take place in two weeks. So why don't we pray together? So we would gather together, and then we would just pray for this uh, evangelistic effort that we are about to undertake. And so, and then that day, we just came, and it was just me and my discipler, and so it was two of us, we were going to a school cafeteria, and I've never done evangelism before. So I was like really terrified. I don't know what to say. And so obviously, disciple, he you know, took the lead, and then we just looked for somebody who was sitting by themselves, sitting by himself, so that we can just go talk to him. And so we found a guy that was sitting by himself. 
just, you know, just eating. He was about to take, uh, eat lunch. So we just approached him, hey, do you want to, and the you know, only thing that I was doing was like, I was like, you know, I was like shaking and I was really nervous. Um, so he did all the talking. And so actually uh, he was open to talking to us and I was like in my mind, really? And so we sat down and, and see he started talking. He seemed to be open to talk about spiritual matters. So I was like, this is great. This is what evangelism is. But soon after, as we started the, the conversation about spiritual matters, a couple of his friends who are trailing him, I guess, they came and then they're like, who are you guys? And so we said, oh, you know, like, of course, it's my disciple are just speaking the whole time. I was just sitting there praying, you know, in my mind. And um, so even though he, um, he explained why, and then those two guys, they all of a sudden got really like, you know, we never asked you guys to just come here. So can you guys leave right now? Okay, leave. Leave us right now. So we had to leave. And I was like, oh, my gosh. I was like so scared and uh, intimidated. So to me, like oftentimes, oftentimes we think evangelism as something that we do for that moment. It's like an event that we should prepare for, right? So, or sometimes we can even prepare for weeks in advance by praying. And on the day of evangelism, and then we just go forth. So when we think of evangelism, oftentimes we think of it as like isolated events that we should prepare for, we should pray for, right? But until then, so from for when the evangelism takes place, and then, okay, whew, okay, I've done my part in evangelism for the week or for the month, for the year or something. So I can now just go back to my, you know, life. I can just do other things. I'd rather just do my, uh, you know, just quiet time or just do my own thing. I'd rather pray, but evangelism, okay, I've done my, I, I, I you know, check off, right, my, my to-do list. And oftentimes, that's how we understand evangelism to be. We often think evangelism is limited to the actual act of proclaiming the gospel. While that may be true in, in the, the strict and the, the narrow sense, but in a broader understanding of evangelism, it is more than these few isolated events that we engage in. Rather, it is, to be a more, it is more of a lifestyle. Evangelism is to be a process. It is to be a lifestyle. To Jesus here, reaching out to Zacchaeus was not an isolated incident that he had planned carefully beforehand. His life, his ministry was about reaching the lost, speaking the truth into their lives, showing God's love. That's what his life was about. So it wasn't like something that he had to plan, but it was something that was just coming out of his life. His evangelism, as opposed to our understanding and often is our practice, his evangelism wasn't compartmentalized aspect of his ministry. But it was an extension of who he was because of his mission. It just flew out, flew out of his life. It wasn't something that we kind of just like, okay, this is my worship time. This is my quiet time. This is my prayer time. This is my evangelism time. So it is just like one of many. And you just kind of separate it and then just kind of plan it and just think about it before, like, you know, weeks at a time, for months at a time. We don't do anything, because okay, so evangelism is something that I do for that moment. It is not. It is to be a lifestyle. Right? 
It was a lifestyle of Jesus to make the most out of every opportunity. And that's what we see in this passage. Out of the oppressing crowd, right? People, because they've heard about Jesus, so they wanted to see. So yeah, think about like BTS concert. You think about like all these people clamoring, oh, you know, like just trying to get close to, the, uh, to those guys. Think of a crowd like that. So against, you know, out of all the people that are like wanting to, that want to see him, Jesus, with all the commotion that is going on, Jesus takes notice of Zacchaeus and reaches out to him. It wasn't Zacchaeus who reached out to him, right? He simply wanted to see the phenomenon that is Jesus. But his curiosity got the best of him. So he, uh, you know, because he was a, you know, kind of short guy, and there were so many people crowding against him, uh, just where Jesus was going. So he had to just kind of uh, go ahead and then just climb up a sycamore tree. Never in his wildest dreams that he would have expected Jesus to interact with him. But that's what Jesus does to Zacchaeus. That's because it comes out of his own life. He, of all the people, he notices Zacchaeus, who was lost. And if you think evangelism is merely an event or act to prepare for, then we are not going to be doing a whole lot of evangelism. Right. You know, so often before, many, uh, like you know, when, uh, early in my ministry, like when we did like missions uh, training and things like that, we did, oh, you know, when we go, over, when we go overseas, we got to, you present the gospel, and so we got to be really efficient, and then we got to do this. And so we would just go through like evangelism training during the, the, tra- uh, the missions training, and this is how we to do it. All the while, I failed to realize that evangelism is a lifestyle. It is a process. And all the people that obviously was led by somebody like me thought that evangelism was something that you do overseas, or just it's an event, isolated events from time to time. So they were never really, uh, really living a life of witness in their own lives, where, right where they were at their work, at their school, and thought that evangelism is something that we should do overseas. Because I signed up for a missions trip, so I'm going to do that overseas. But right here, with my family, with my cohorts, with my neighbors, eh, not really. So they, one time, like, I thought I did a pretty good job of uh, you know, just training them, and then we go. And there was one time when we like paired up, and there's with this one sister, we were just going to different places, and she got really nervous. During the time when we were doing our evangelism, evangelism like training, she like memorized everything and just didn't knew what to do. But once she faced came to uh, with like one on one, when it's like, okay, why don't you do it? It's like, Pastor Virginia, could you do it? I, I'm really nervous. I, I really don't know what to say, and so like I, I ended up like. You know, sharing because why? Because she thought it was just an event. So she was ne- it was never a part of her life. It was evangelism is an isolated thing that she would have to do when when she goes to overseas. But she has never lived a life of witness in her family, in her work. Right. So I had to like really like scrap everything about the way I was approaching about evangelism and missions. Isn't that what we do oftentimes? 
like say, when you sign up for evangel- uh, the missions trip and things, and then, oh, you know, we got to go and spread the gospel. And so all the while, just uh, we're gung-ho about those things, but in our own lives, with people around us, that God has placed us, uh, placed in our lives, we are like, they're just like walking trees. It doesn't really bother us. It doesn't really move us really just be a witness to those people in our daily lives. It's how you live your life. It's your approach and your attitude in relation to non-Christians. That is evangelism, how to live your life. You know, they say that, um, that it takes multiple clear presentations of the gospel for people, for most people, to come to understand the implication and the meaning of the gospel, what it really truly means to, the, to him or her, right? If you think about it, for non-Christians, all their lives, they lived apart from Christ. And they are, so over time, they have built and built their own philosophy of life, how life is, how life works, and their worldview. That's how they lived all their lives, opposed to God. So it's going to take them, for a lot of people, to hear the gospel multiple times, over time to truly understand what it really means and be convinced by it. Yes, conversion, on the first time hearing the gospel, like maybe Beckett Cook, it happens. But for most people, it is a process. It's a long process. Just because somebody has not come uh, come to Christ, the first time you share the gospel, doesn't mean that you're like, okay, I've done my part. Forget you, right? I'm just going to walk away because... You, I shared the gospel once, and you didn't, you, you don't respond, and forget you. I'm, I'm just going to, I've done my part, so good luck, right? That's not how we are to be, right? It is a process. It takes time. I remember, like, when I was, uh, it, it, uh, I had a high school friend that I've known, and then, um, you know, back then, you know, we didn't have, like, the emails, you know, Instagrams, and none of those things. So it was kind of hard to keep in touch. But, you know, during the, the high school years, you know, I would, you know, just uh, talk to him about Christ and things like that. But he never said, well, it's good for you. It works for you. Fine. But don't try to just put that on me, right? And so he was very apathetic, indifferent. But I just kept at it. Uh, I would even drag him to, like, a retreat. Um, and throughout uh, college years, you know, we were separated. He, was, he went to school out in, like, Colorado somewhere. And... Um, and then, and then after uh, college, you know, I was going off to seminary, and I knew that it was going to be really hard for me to keep in touch with them. And so one time, you know, during this, the summer before I went to, uh, to seminary, you know, hey, you, you want to have lunch? And then during the lunchtime, I was, like, so frustrated. I was like, you know, like, you know, why can't you, you know, so... I didn't like, you know, shove it down his throat, but it's like, yeah, you really have to, and I, I think I pound the table, you know, my lunch table, right, over lunch, and you have to really just put your trust in Christ, because without him, without knowing the gospel, you know, you're going to be, you're going to spend your, all your eternity, eternity in hell, and so I was pounding the table uh, without me knowing, um, I was so frustrated with this, with this guy, because he was so hardened. But then afterwards, like, after I said that, you're going to, and I was like, oh, maybe I was a little too harsh on him. Um, but then he said, okay. And I was like, huh? What did you just say? Okay. And I, what do you mean by that? Okay. Yeah, I would, I would like to receive Christ into my life. Yeah, I want to I become a Christian. And I was like, are you serious? 
And I, I couldn't believe it myself. Because like for over, over seven years, I would witness to him on and off. But he never like, but then over time, it just, I think it really chipped at him and just a little bit at a time. And there was time like a couple years before his younger sister became a Christian. So I'm pretty sure that also had an impact on him. But you see, like, it takes time. And I know at that time, I know I didn't really have a good gospel presentation because I was confused myself. I had no idea what I was talking about. But I tried the best as I can just present the gospel. It takes time. And some of us, when we hear the, the baptism and the testimony, we hear how some people, many of us, it wasn't the very first time we heard the gospel that we came to Christ. It was over time, constantly being reminded of why we are so wrong, why we are so rebellious. And as we hear the gospel, over time, God works slowly, chipping at our hearts. And that's what happens. It's not one and done. It is a process, and it is a lifestyle. It's not this, like, um, isolated events. Evangelism is about being convinced by the veracity of the gospel. You are so convinced by it, and you live it out. And that's what evangelism really is about. When you are filled with that the conviction of the gospel, that this truth will truly set, uh, just alter the life of uh, someone's life forever, for all eternity, when we are convinced by it, and when we truly know it, when we are really full of it, when we are filled with it, then we cannot help, we cannot contain ourselves, but to really share the gospel, preach the gospel with people around us. And a couple of years ago, my alma mater uh, was ranked number one in, uh, in the nation in men's basketball. Heading into the NCAA men's basketball college tournament, um, and so because we were number one uh, out of 64 teams, we were ranked number one because we were number one in the nation. So we were matched up with number 64, uh, you know, in the number 64 ranked team in the nation, and it happened to be UMBC, uh, you know, the University of Maryland, Baltimore County. Nobody knew that they even had a basketball, you know, just program. Um, and no one is from UMBC here, right? right? I mean, because, you know, it's, we also know it's a, you made a bad choice. That's how we say it. Um, but anyways, so, you know, we were so sure that because we were number one in the nation, we rarely ever lost against, like, Duke and all these, like, you know, powerhouses. And so we're like, oh, it's, it's breeze. And yet, for the first time in NCAA men's basketball tournament history, never ever when number one seeded team lost to the last ranked team, never ever. And our school became the first, made a history by losing on the first round. I was devastated. How can this be, right? You know, every year, right? Every year, they get bounced early in the tournament even though they were pretty good in the regular season. So last year, again, we were pretty good, but I didn't want to get burned again, so I didn't really follow them because I, I just didn't want to get my hopes up and then just get crushed. But that uh, last year's uh, men's tournament, they kept winning. It was this incredible place, like towards the end of the, it was like a miracle place, one after another. Could this be the year? And indeed, at the end, UVA had a storybook ending and won the championship. And what a redemption a year after, a national disgrace. A year after being the butt of the joke and became the champion, 
And I watched the, the championship game at least. And as soon as they won, I was so excited. I was so, uh, I was so happy. I couldn't contain my enthusiasm and excitement. So I posted on the Facebook of this good news. And already, like, as I went to the Facebook, my news feed was you know, exploding with all those people that went to school. I said, oh, we won, we won. You know, I didn't play the game, but as an alumni, I had to express my excitement in my heart. I could care less what other people would say. Haters are going to hate, you know? Um, so I didn't really care. You know, the gospel, good news, by definition, is an announcement. It's news. It's news that you are to tell. Like, you know, these days there's like a, so much like news, there's a news cycle about uh, the vaping, you know, how it's like so lethal, like this, a lot of people are dying from it. It's news, whether it's good or bad, it's news. And you, you know, it's, it is to be announced. And that's what gospel is. Gospel is good news that we are to announce to the world who does, uh, that does not know it, right? When we are convinced about the gospel, how God has saved us from our sin through Christ Jesus, out of the overflow of our life in him, that we are to evangelize. It is more than this technique that we are. To, yes, of course, we, we, need to, uh, we need to have a better, uh, there may be better ways, more efficient ways for us to approach people and start the conversation and share the gospel. But in the end, it has to start from our own hearts. Are we really filled with conviction about the truth of the gospel, that this truth, this gospel, this good news can truly alter the life of someone's, uh, someone's life for all eternity? Because if we are really convinced that we will, we will share this good news with other people. So the first point was evangelism. Is a, is, a, is a process, it's a lifestyle, not just isolated events, isolated things that we do from time to time, compartmentalized. And the second point that I want to bring out to you is evangelism, just be clear, it's related. It's be clear on the mission. Be clear on the mission. As I said before, we have to be clear on our mission. We are soldiers of Christ. And he's our commander. Second Timothy, Second uh, Timothy, chapter two, verse three and four says this: "You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier." As Paul is charging his spiritual son Timothy, he's saying, "Look." Timothy, you are a soldier of Christ. And as soldiers of Christ, who is our then commander? There is a, the command, uh, you know, the, the chain of command. And who is our ultimate commander? It's Jesus Christ. And as uh, not like civilians, but as soldiers of Christ, we are to take orders. We're to take the mission from Christ himself and execute it. And that's what we are called to do. Without clear understanding of our mission, we will be all over the map. We're not. We're just gonna have because there are so many distractions in the world. There are so many things to take care care of in our lives that we can easily forget what our mission is. Right? We have to aim it. Have a clear objective because if we aim at nothing, we will surely hit it. 
We see in the life of Christ that he was crystal clear in his mission. Whatever, they, whatever came his way, he was not thrown off from his mission of preaching the good news and doing the will of the Father. You know, in this context, uh, in uh, Luke chapter 19, the context is Jesus was nearing Jerusalem for the last time. In a matter of a few days, he knew that he would be captured, tortured, and crucified. All kinds of thoughts must have gone through his mind, taking on the sin of the world with no one by his side, that even the Father who's been with him for all eternity at that moment on the on, on cross, as he was being crucified, all the sin of the world would pour on him, and the Father God would abandon him, forsake him. He knew all those things. And that's why in the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so troubled in his spirit and crying out to God, take this cup away from me. So a lot of things were going on, and this is when this... Is when this uh, story happens. Jesus is only a few days away from being crucified. Think about all the things that are on his mind. If you know that you have only a few days to live, how would you, what would just go through your mind, right? All kinds of things, right? How to just, you know, go through the, how to end well and all these things. And with all the commotion and so many things going, on, uh, going through his mind, rather than passing by Zacchaeus, because he has so many things going on. Jesus stops, and he tells him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I have to, I must stay at your house today. I have to, right? It's not an option. I will, I have to stay in your house today. Did Jesus say that because he really had no place to stay? I don't think so. If anything, people must have, uh, you know, people must have come to Jesus and invited him to their places. It's Jewish custom to invite a rabbi or teacher to their place to, and, and hear him teach. They would invite their friends to dinner and hear him. There would have been a lot of people as Jesus was uh, passing by in Jericho. A lot of people would just say, hey, Jesus, hey, can you come to my place? You know, I, you know I, have, I would have really, I have a lot of friends. Right? Come to my place, right? Let's talk about theology all night. I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go. I love to talk about theology. Why don't we do that? Just come to my place. I just, you know, invite a bunch of my friends. We'll have really enriching theological discussion among us. Or some people, no, 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 come to my place. I'm a social influencer, right? It would go a long way. If you come to my place, I can really influence people here, right? Come to my place. There would have been so many people there just asking Jesus to come to their own place. And yet, Jesus stops with all the things that are happening around him. He says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I have to stay in your house today. Right? Rockstar reception, celebrity treatment did not deter him from knowing what his mission and purpose was in life. The most monumental moment that he was about to face did not keep him from getting sidetracked with his mission. He insisted on spending that precious time with Zacchaeus. Why? Because of verse 10. The Son of Man came, right? So to seek the lost and to save them. 
That was his mission. So it never just like all the things that were happening, it never just, he never like forgot about what he, the purpose, his mission was all throughout his life, even right before his death. Even on the, on the cross, he reaches out to one of the robbers that was dying with him, extending grace to him. There are a lot of Zacchaeuses around us. Can you imagine as an, old, uh, as an adult climbing up a tree? Like, can you imagine like you see me out there in one of the trees and I'm just climbing up there and then like, oh, Pastor Woody, what are you doing? You're, a, you're not a kid. You're a grown-up man. Why are you climbing up a tree? Searching, looking, searching for the truth. Or maybe simply curious. But Jesus never let that pass him by. Or just say, ah, he's just one of those guys that says, I have to stay at your house. And reaches out to Zacchaeus. He was clear on his mission. Are we busy? Do we have a lot of things to take care of? Do we have tons of stuff on our mind? Sure we do. And these perceived urgent things can easily dictate you know, what's truly important and our, uh, what our mission really is. Because you know, think about it in our lives, all the stuff that we have to take care of at work, and once we just come home, there are other things, the family matters, paying the bills, everything else. There's so many things going on in our lives, and it can easily distract us or take us off from our true mission. But you see, none of us has as much of a hectic and crazy environment as Jesus has uh, Jesus. And because he had a clear mission, he did not allow other things to distract him. So we have no excuse. Say, oh, you know, I'm too busy, so you know, I, I think I'm going to go easy on our mission. I can just kind of just you know, put that in a back burner. And when, when I get around to it, when I have a little more time, but for us, how many of us will really say uh, when at, at a later time that we would have more time? Life will always throw things at us. We'll only get busier and busier as time goes by, as we grow and as we have more responsibilities put on us, whether it's at work, in your family, and all these other things. We'll have plenty of, uh, have so many things that will get us off track. So it's not a matter of how busy we are right now. It's really about understanding what God calls us to do, what our mission is in life. It's to bear witness and to love Christ and preach the gospel at all times. So it is my prayer for all of us that as we just go through, as we've been thinking, uh, thinking about evangelism, that it's not just these isolated events, the things from time to time, time to time, but it's a lifestyle. It is a process that we are to continue to just engage in, right, with our people around us that God has placed, right? The reason why we have family members, neighbors, coworkers, it's not a an accident. It's not coincidence. There is a purpose why God has placed us in those areas, and God calls us to bear witness. Maybe our attitude and mindset. Let's pray.